This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 480. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and I'm joined today by His Majesty, Matthew <laughs> What's up, man? Hey, buddy. Yeah. I mean, you got such a fine beard going again. You know, it's 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 royal. It's so yeah. royally awesome. Yeah, it, it comes and goes, you know what I mean? Like, I only can keep it for so long before... You know, I use up all those credits that uh, allow me to keep it, and then I got to shave it. So, <laughs> yeah, I feel you. I feel you. Yeah, um, super excited to be back with you for another episode. Uh, we're uh, recording this on Wednesday, February tenth. Earlier today, uh, Jacob and I did a uh, episode about industry news in our in a couple of gear reviews. We do we do that episode or at least that format of, of an episode once per month. Uh, this afternoon, we're really excited to talk with you about two viral videos, two videos that were, went really quite widespread in the last week um, that both have some really important lessons uh, to take away from them, especially in, I mean, the title of the episode is, when is it best to just walk away? And, and and that is a really important question to ask. Like, it's really important. I mean, going back to the episode I did last week or, or so with uh, Matt Little talking about like knowing in advance, like deciding now and, and, and understanding the math involved in a self-defense situation, right? Like making some of those decisions ahead of time and being in the right place mentally and emotionally is really, really important. And that's going to become really evident in today's episode. Uh, first, today's episode, though, is brought to you by the 2021 Guardian Conference. Uh, talking about it quite a bit these days because it is actually quite consuming for me personally as we, as I and, and we plan for this big event. We're anticipating a good number of you guys, okay? And that's important because we have a, an all-star lineup of instructors for this event taking place in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, September 17th to the 19th later this year. And just highlighting some of the instructors we have coming to that event. We've got Larry Vickers, Spencer Keepers. Oh, look, there's me. (laughs) Matthew will be there too, by the way. Matt Little, Brian Eastridge, Steve Moses, Chuck Haggard, Sam Middlebrook, Brian McLaughlin, Haney McMood, Andrew Branca, Todd Fossey, who just confirmed yesterday that he's good to go, providing some hand-to-hand and combatives training. Uh, you know, a lot of great faces and names here, guys that really know their stuff. Andrew Branca, of course, for providing uh, some legal instruction for our attendees. It's going to be really good. And that'll be also really relevant to some of the discussion that we that we have today in this episode, you and me, Matthew. Chuck Haggard is going to be there doing some some great uh, training. Haven't nailed down exactly all the the courses and course schedule related stuff, but just to give you an idea. Chuck is is an expert in. Well, first he's a cop for a long time, so he he understands you know cop stuff, but specifically he's an expert in areas like uh, OC spray. All right, so we might even have 
an OC spray class going on at the Guardian Conference. If you've ever wanted to take one of those, even get certified in OC spray. Um, Managing Unknown Contacts, another great uh, kind of seminar uh, that I've uh, heard Chuck put on. Uh, Low light tactics and techniques. Another thing that Chuck is really, really experienced in and, and is, is, is known for. So be great. Matt Little's going to be there. Um, awesome, awesome guy. Special Forces. He's been on the podcast. You guys should recognize his name by this point. Also, you know, retired SWAT uh, operator, right? And a top level competitive shooter. Awesome dude. Spencer Keepers. I actually just talking with Spencer the other day. Um, he's going to do an appendix specific class. So appendix carry. So that'll be great. And also, we're probably going to get him to do, he has like a seminar presentation he does on holster design and selection and kind of like what goes into the makings of a quality holster, what to look for and that kind of thing. Of course, he's known for making a really high quality holster uh, from his company, Keepers Concealment. But he does that presentation in a great way that's, yes, I mean, you're going to probably want to buy a Keepers Concealment holster by the time you're done listening. But but it's it's not meant to be just an advertisement. It's meant to be really sound knowledge about holsters and larry vickers everybody probably knows larry vickers name steve moses maybe a name you don't know as well but is a fantastic instructor guys i'm telling you you're going to want to be at the first annual concealedcarry.com guardian conference presented by ccw safe all right we're so proud to have them on board as as our partners in this event uh so it's going to be awesome and you see right here here's the dates here's the times and guys, right now we're still in that early bird price phase. Actually, technically super early bird. Uh, so get your tickets now. All right, they are selling. Uh, there's no guarantee of how long these are going to be available. Okay, so and and no guarantee as to when we're going to raise the price and go to the standard price. Okay, so a heads up on that. All right. All right, and then also today's episode brought to you by Guardian Nation because. Guardian Nation is our special membership program that is inter in, in it's what's the word? It is inseparable from the Guardian Conference. Meaning that this this actually this whole idea was was born out of the out of the idea that we wanted to do an event, a training event specifically for our Guardian Nation members, but we decided we'd make it open to more than just members. Members will get a huge discount on it, which you do. And also, it's actually kind of to the point where most people signing up, you're going to want to just be a Guardian Nation member anyway because you're going to save more in paying for the Guardian Conference by being a member than you're going to probably actually pay, you know, at least initially becoming a member. So, guys, check out GuardianNation.com. Learn more today. Get signed up and, and go make sure you check out the Guardian Conference and get signed up for that event. We hope that you can make it. Uh, we have people traveling in from all across the country. You're going to want to do so as well. I'll, I'll tell you this other thing. There's, there's some great advantages of this being in Oklahoma City, Matthew. For one, it's pretty easy to travel and get to because it's centrally located in the country. Flights there are generally pretty reasonably priced. Also, hotel expenditures and things. We've got a couple group rates with uh, hotels there very close to the range very 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 affordable we we really put a lot of thought and effort into making this a fantastic event that's as affordable as we can possibly make it for all of you guys so so seriously uh, take us up on it and we hope to see you there let's get into today's uh, topic all right first 
we're going to talk about a fatal shooting of a man in Montgomery County, uh, Virg- uh, Maryland, excuse me, not Virginia. And this happened just a, just a few days ago. All right. It's been getting a lot of press uh, and, and rightfully so because it's, it's quite, um, it's quite telling. It's a, it's an impactful video to watch. Matthew and I were just reviewing it again together a few minutes ago. And what this, I'll give you kind of the background, the story of what, what took place. You have this man, uh, this guy here. And so I'm showing video for those of you that are listening only. I apologize. You won't be able to see, but I'll just describe as best I can. You have a, a man who, interestingly enough, is a retired security IT professional of some kind. He's actually done work for like the nuclear regulatory commission and like other government agencies. Like this is a credibly out of character for him as far as we can tell, because if you I actually went to his LinkedIn profile, uh, shared with me from another person, a friend, actually rich Brown over at the American warrior society and the American warrior show. Uh, and I, I went and took a look at this guy's LinkedIn. This dude was, a. Uh, a, as far as we can tell, just looking at a LinkedIn profile, a, a good, you know, decent person that was a very highly qualified professional um, person that just retired a few years ago. All right. He has like hundreds of recommendations from coworkers and clients and people he's worked with over the years. So this seems to be very much out of character for him. What, 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 what went down this morning on this particular day? Well, he gets into an accident with a vehicle, runs into another vehicle. So it's like a multi-vehicle accident and crashes his own car, gets out of his car. And apparently he's brought some kind of stick with him and, or he's found it on the ground or whatever. And he actually starts trying to attack the occupants of the vehicles that he just got in an accident with. About this you know, time or shortly after a, a Montgomery County uh, Sheriff's deputy shows up on scene. He was just going into work to uh, um, he was just going into work to start his shift for the day. He interacts with this man. Apparently, you know, he, he recognizes that he's irate, that he's uh, non-responsive to his commands. He uh, tells him to put down, you know, show his hands, put down the, the stick, the weapon, whatever. Um, apparently, also attempted to try to tase him. Although we don't see video evidence of that here, but that was in the written reports. And uh, nothing's working. This guy is now walking towards him in a threatening manner, very much posturing. And, swing, and then here you'll see he actually swings and breaks the stick on the officer's head or arm or something, swings again. And then the officer opens fire from a relatively close distance of one to three yards. All right. So there, there's the video for you. All right. So just kind of wanted to break this down. Very briefly, I know this is, I should have given you guys a heads up. This is graphic, obviously. Um, the, the full video goes longer than this and is more graphic. You don't need to go see that. This, we see everything we need to see right here in this video. Um, the reason why we're talking about this today is a couple, well, a couple of things. I've seen a lot of comments from people observing this. And an initial takeaway is, wow, this officer fired 12 shots at this man. 12 shots. Right. So I've seen comments in recent days like, oh, wow. Can you imagine if if the anti-gunners are able to get mag capacity limits passed of 10 rounds or even less? I know they're actually wanting to go even more aggressively than just 10 rounds. 
in some of the proposed legislation that may be coming. Um, it, I would have been, you know, if this was me in a situation, I only had six rounds or 10 rounds even, I, I, I might not have been able to successfully defend myself from this attack. Okay. That's a reasonable takeaway from this. Um, some people looked at it and, you know, made comments to the effect of, well, it's a stopping power issue. This guy must have been shooting a nine millimeter. And maybe if it had been a 40 or a 45, it might have been different. Well, at this point, I kind of actually want to hand it off to you for some of your comments, Matthew. Like, what what is your take on all of that? You know, what I've presented so far. Yeah, I mean, the ballistics um, angle is, is something definitely to to talk about. And I think backing up, this this is a deputy, right? A law enforcement officer is engaged. But and so as a as a um, everyday carrier, right? Defensive shooter, you 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 probably wouldn't have to engage with this person, right? Like so, there there is the a, a little bit of a difference when we're talking about a law enforcement officer who's who's kind of there and they have to they have to do something, right? Um, so, I, I think when I looked initially, and probably I don't know if you did the same thing when I first looked at this um, this deputy. And this, let, let me preface this by, I'm not armchair quarterbacking, neither is Riley. Um, I think it's important that we take as much as we can uh, knowledge from from the facts of the video, not speculation or not, not anything conjecture. But I'm looking at the deputy and I'm saying um, he, he, he didn't appear to have any other options um, besides the firearm, even if those options would have been preferable. Um, as far as hand-to-hand skills, um, you know, the, the issue is, is if you don't have any other skills to go to or any other tools, options, you don't have to be, you know, uh, Bruce Lee to have some sort of defensive um, ability. And um, that doesn't allow you to do anything except go to the gun. So once the gun comes out, it's pretty much inevitable what's going to happen here um, because there are really no other options. So um, I think that was important um, in, you know, we could talk about tactically some, some things, but to, to your point um, as far as stopping power and ballistics, we don't know what, what the caliber of the round was fired. People are, are speculating, Hey, you know, I bet you it's a nine millimeter. I bet you it's this. Okay. Like until we find out, we don't know. And really it's irrelevant it really is irrelevant. And like we were talking before, um, the, the shot placement and we say it all the time is far more important than the caliber. Um, if you guys listen to our episode last, last week, I think we talked about uh, justified shooting where a guy shot a 22 long rifle Bruger SR 22 into one shot into uh, somebody's chest and to stop him. And that person died. Mm-hmm. So, you know, crazy things happen. Tim Grammons, you talked to him. Uh, Riley did an awesome uh, interview, but he shot 45 rounds in, or 45 caliber. And how many rounds did he fire? Like, I think died. he hit the suspect 13 times before. Right. Before so, achieving a stoppage of that person. So, yeah, we can look at generalities, how ballistics perform. But ultimately, it boils down to are you getting successful hits in areas that are going to impact this person's mm-hmm. attack. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. 
Yeah, uh, I want to highlight a couple other things. You know, first of all, as you said, this is not intended to be armchair quarterbacking. You know, this deputy and his actions and so forth. Um, but there are lessons to be learned for sure, and I want to highlight a couple of things here. First of all, as this man starts raising this stick over his head to strike the deputy, uh, the deputy gets a uh, gets an arm up. All right, that's good. He raises his arm up. Uh, he's taking defensive you know, a defensive position, getting his arm up and protecting things that are more vital, his head and his neck and so forth. Right. So, so that's good. Um, I want to pay or kind of point out how close we see that he is to this man. It's pretty close at this Mm -hmm. point. You know, he's certainly within striking distance. Now it looks in, in the perspective and everything is probably a little bit deceiving. It might look like they're arm's length away, but if you notice that the man, as he's swinging the stick, he's, He's full on swinging. He's leaning into it. So his arms are fully extended at this point. And the stick hits that deputy like in the side of the head or kind of shoulder area or something, you know, somewhere around there. So the reality is they're probably separated by probably about six or seven feet if I was going to venture a guess. So, so it may look like it's three feet, but it's probably more like six or seven feet. Now, that's still both very, very close distances and uh, too close for comfort, right? So I want you to kind of pay attention that as the deputy is walking back, you know, he did a little bit of a hop and a step there, uh, you know, which is a little bit faster tempo, but then he kind of goes back to this more leisurely backpedaling motion. Um, you know what? Particularly looking at this from a civilian context, um, let's let's actually put some space between us and our attacker if we can, right? Rather than just allowing them to maintain this relatively close distance. If we can, let's increase the tempo of, of our speed trying to get away from them. Consider also too, instead of just walking straight rearward in a straight line, uh, actually going in at an oblique angle, like actually going, you know, trying to increase distance, but also changing the angle, actually leading that person, you know, or, or, or trying to go to the side, right? Moving laterally a little bit more. Um, now, that's not necessarily by itself going to solve this, situ- this situation. But if you can imagine that instead of just raising an arm as the suspect was about to strike this deputy, he could have raised an arm, but also have stepped, sidestepped very quickly, very, you know, uh, rapidly. And that might have actually caused him to move completely offline and, and not get struck at all. Uh, and it forces your adversary to now they have to reorient themselves to you because you, you just now change the angle on them. So, so give that some thought and some consideration as well. So we want to try to increase distance, increase distance even more rapidly than what this officer is doing at this time, but also consider changing the angle and moving laterally. A question from Dave on YouTube. He says, did all 12 rounds fired hit? We don't know the full answer to that question, but I surmise that there were some misses here. Let me clarify misses. I think there's a high probability there were some rounds fired here that completely missed the target. All right. I also surmise that many of these rounds, especially these initial rounds, were what we would call peripheral hits. Okay. It's hard to see perhaps for some of you that are viewing with me right now on our live feed, but as I've watched this again and again and again, when this officer fires his first few shots, 
it's actually kind of left and right and like his gun, the movement of his gun is all over the place. All right. The first shot looks to me like a little bit left and that kind of the gun go dips low and to the right. And then it kind of comes back over to the left. And later on the video, you see the, the angle of the muzzle is kind of all over the place. All right. Now we might be led to think that, well, if we're generally hitting all in the, in the chest region, like, it's got to it's got to work at some point, right? Yeah, but realize that once we get really below the the rib cage, um, nothing down there is going to result in immediate incapacitation. In some of these rounds, and I can tell you if you've seen the full video of this, where you see the man on the ground and you see where some of the blood finally starts to come from, there's a number of these hits that are quite low on the body. Okay, so by that we mean in, in in the belly region or the lower abdomen even, and those just aren't going to get the job done. Also, peripheral hits on the chest on 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 the chest, yeah, your rib cage, right? Not going to get it done either. We need things to be center line, high thoracic cavity, right? That's where we need it to be. Or here's the other thing. What about taking a headshot after you fired some number of shots and something's not working? Could it mean that we now need to change up our approach and go for a more sure shot? Yes, it's higher risk. Okay. And I, I had this conversation with somebody recently and they're like, well, try doing a headshot on a moving target. Even though he's close, like that's, that's a really difficult shot. Here's the one thing, though. The advantage that the cop has in moving in a straight line to the rear, relative to his position, this person coming at him, his head is more or less staying, you know, it's not moving a lot side to side more than likely. And we're talking a distance of like maybe two yards. I don't know about you, but I know I can make a headshot at two yards. And I don't mean to make this sound so trivial that, that, you know, nothing's a sure thing. I get that. But we, I mean, that's the point of training. Like we practice this kind of stuff because it is relevant at times, right? I made the comment to someone and I told Matthew the same thing earlier. I said, this is like the perfect case for like a Scott Jedlinski modern samurai project three and two drill. And that drill is you draw and put three rounds into the high center chest, and then you transition and put two rounds into the, the head of the target. And on Scott's target, he uses his own target, but it's basically a, a body A zone. And for the head, it's a three by five card is, is the target he uses for the head. And the standard is to do the three rounds into the body and two into the head from the draw in two seconds or less. That's the standard. That's a very spicy standard, by the way, but it's doable. Okay. Um, this is why we train. The point is, is I want my shooting skill and ability to happen subconsciously, right? So that I'm, my brain is thinking and I'm thinking tactically about the situation. But when, when it comes time to use that gun, the use of the gun should be subconscious. And after, at this distance, especially after a few shots where we're not getting the desired result, meaning stopping the threat, it's definitely worth asking the question, should we be considering 
taking a shot at the head? I th- I would say yes. All right. This is a perfect case for that. All right. Secondly, the shooting in this case was, I believe, quite abysmal. Again, I don't mean to judge this guy too harshly, but he's sort of shooting from a pseudo retention position, one handed. So he's not really in a true retention position where we can gain the advantage of a little, you know, uh, stabilization from pressing our hand and arm and, and maybe even the butt of the gun into our ribs in the side of our chest, right? Like shooting from retention position, that's what we want to do. We want to anchor the gun in our into our body so we aren't just out there flopping around one-handed, uh, just shooting willy-nilly, which is basically what happened in this case. This guy, again, I've watched this multiple times, and I see the gun kind of go one way and another way and another way. It's all quite unpredictable. There was not a lot of marksmanship being employed. Um, secondly, he already has the gun slightly extended in front of him. You might as well have two guns on that gun at the point, at that point. All right. You're going to be more effective. Okay. So, so those are kind of some of the more specific lessons I would highlight, but the big thing here today, why we wanted to highlight this in the episode today was, and Matthew covered it was that this is less of a ballistics question. This is less of a, stopping power as it as it's sometimes referred to which is a bogus description but um this is not a nine versus 45 or 40 or whatever debate this is a if you can't put your rounds where you got to put them to affect a stop then it doesn't matter what handgun round you use question that's what this is about yeah you gotta you gotta put the rounds where it counts if you can't do that, it doesn't matter what you're shooting or what you're carrying. And you're going to end up like this guy shooting probably three times the rounds you needed to to solve the problem. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I think it's really important to, to kind of go back and, and like remind everybody, even myself sometimes, is what's the real reason why we shoot high center chests. Like there's, there's many reasons that we do it, but there's really a, like, I think the, the, the main reason um, or the most important is it stops the threat. We have the, the, the potential to stop the threat with the least amount of rounds and as quickly as possible. And that's what we need to do, right? Like this guy, it, it, we want to stop them, not, 12 rounds or 16 rounds or whatever we want to shoot is the fewest amount of rounds because all those other things are, you know, well, what about a smaller moving target? Now you, that the more rounds we fire, the higher probability we have to miss the higher, the longer this attack goes on, the more rounds we have to fire in general. And if, and everybody has a capacity limitation at one point or another, like the deputy might've had extra magazines you may not have extra magazines, but we all get to a, a certain point where our capacity is, is you know, exhausted. So um, I think the it, it doesn't matter about your caliber. It matters about putting well-aimed shots or well-placed shots, um, high center chest, and, and trying to evaluate and see, are these hits working? And hopefully, if, if you're... you're targeting these these uh 
these areas, you're not going to have to fire 16 rounds at four or 12 rounds at four feet or five mm-hmm. feet. Um, it's j- it just puts you at it's such a higher degree of being injured. I mean, he had the gun kind of willy nilly, like you said, kind of holding it out, kind of going back and forth, pulling it in as the guy swung. And, and um, you know, it's just getting out of the the idea that when we shoot the gun, we're, we're always marksmen, right? Like we're, it's important that we we're accurate, but we have to understand that I don't always have to have the gun out at full extension, right? I can bring that gun back and fire two handed retention position kind of just in, in a compressed position, right? But if you've never done that, your brain isn't going to immediately recognize that and go to that. You're going to have a gun out here and this hand just kind of waving at people, right? So I think it's just another example of like, I think um, maybe not as good of training. This deputy may not have had uh, the adequate training in a close quarters type, um, you know, retention uh, type incident. So I, I, I don't know. I, I can't really add much to what you said, but. I, I don't think there is much more to add. Frankly, I think it, it, that is, those are all great points and that is what it is. Guys, this is why we practice. This is why we train. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Guardian Conference. We're, you're, we're, there's going to be some training at that event this year that would apply very directly to a situation like this, meaning the use of a gun in, in a more close quarter situation. Todd Fossey that just came on board, he's going to be one of our instructors there. He specializes in teaching kind of the combination of the two worlds of fighting with our hands and fighting with the gun. All right, which often occurs in close quarters. And, and so, guys, come to the Guardian Conference. This is what it's for. Okay. Again, we could talk about, and by the way, in our next story or the next half of this episode, we're going to talk about of conflict avoidance and that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, we that's the ideal. But sometimes we may still find ourselves in situations where there is no other choice. And we got to use the gun to solve the problem. Well, in that instance, we want to be as effective as we can be in that moment, right? All right. Let's go now to Pennsylvania. The other viral story slash video that uh, told you we were going to talk about today. And this one probably went a little bit more widespread because it was quite, uh, it's tragic. That's for sure. It's appalling in terms of the sheer level of violence that was, I mean, this was not just, uh, uh, I mean, when I, when a, when a dude goes back for another gun and comes back to finish the job, you really know that he is, he's gone off his rails, right? Like a uh, pretty crazy story out of Pennsylvania, right? Uh, Wilkes bar, Pennsylvania specifically, not too far from, uh, from Scranton. And uh, I'm going to let Matthew kind of give us the overview of the situation as it played out. And and the only reason we even know as much as we know about this is because interestingly enough, the married couple that was involved had a surveillance camera with audio um, on the front of their house recording the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And so that video has gone wide and far in terms of its, you know, being viral. And uh, now we're not going to actually play back that video in this episode today. 
chances are many of you have already seen it. Um, if you haven't, I don't even know that you need to go see it. Okay. But, uh, um, but due to its extreme level of violence, um, I just don't care to share it in today's video. And it's also, it's not, you know, like some, some of these things we share and they're self-defense related. Right. And, and to me, that's a little different than this one. That's just outright brutal murder of two people. And then of course, a follow-up suicide to all of that. So Matthew, give us the rundown of this uh, story between two neighbors, which was a married husband and wife arguing with the neighbor that lived across the street from them. Yeah. So uh, this is the overview. Um, I believe it happened on the 1st of February. Um, But basically these neighbors live across the street from one another. Apparently there had been um, arguments before in the past um, between these two. But um, on this day, the morning, I think it was like uh, 10 o'clock, nine o'clock, something like that. Um, nine o'clock uh, in the morning. So they're shoveling their the snow on their driveway, pushing it across the street and apparently throwing the snow or pushing the s- snow across the street onto um, the, the, the neighbor's property. Um, in the video, you see both of the, both the neighbor comes out and he's shoveling. He has a shovel. The woman has a shovel, snow shovel, and the the husband is out there. He doesn't have a snow shovel, but um, it's it's if you from the the reports they were shoveling the snow, throwing it out. He came out with shoveling. He got mad, and they start arguing. Um, arguing is probably the um, understatement of what you'd hear if you listen to the to the audio. Um, it's uh, it's expletives. It's verbal threats of physical violence. Um, there are derogatory terms used um, from both sides, um, from every single person involved. They're all cussing um, and just escalating this more and more. And you can see um, that this is if it didn't go to a physical fight, I would have been surprised because it just it. It was escalating. So um, at this point, uh, the one neighbor that lives by himself, he goes into his home. um, And as the neighbors in the home or in the garage, I can't we can't really tell. But uh, he goes in out of sight, out of view of the camera. And the argument is that they're still screaming at one another. Um, the, The gentleman and his wife are still shoveling snow. They're cursing at him. He's yelling from his house, cursing back at them. And. Um, more threats are made. So at this point, um, the husband and wife are standing basically in the middle of the street and the neighbor comes out with a handgun, walks down his driveway, pointing the gun um, at the ready position at these two people that are standing in the street. Um, Immediately, the woman comes from behind the man and kind of comes up and and, and walks towards the, the, the neighbor with the firearm. And you hear, because the audio is there, what are you going to do? Uh, you know, then, then the husband says, um, uh, put the gun down, put the gun down. The guy, the, the neighbor starts shooting, shoots off a series and number of rounds, um, n- not hitting either one of them. Eventually, uh, and at this point, the husband and wife are frozen, whether they're frozen in fear or um you know, Riley and I were talking earlier um, uh, that normal normalcy bias that like your your eyes are v- seeing something, but your brain is like, this isn't happening. I can't, I can't, you know, 
this isn't this isn't really happening. I know I'm seeing it, but this isn't really happening um, because he's shooting several rounds as he's closing the distance and they stand there. Um, eventually, he gets the, the husband gets hit. He runs off um, and then the woman gets hit and she drops right there in, in the in the street. Um, the the neighbor closes the distance, comes to, uh, you know, maybe a foot and puts a couple rounds in towards uh, the, the woman's head or face area. One looks like it misses, but one definitely hits her. He walks then over across the street um, and shoots um, the husband at point blank range. You see the gun go into um, uh, the, the, the slide is locked. So it's out of battery. He's out of ammunition. He walks back into his, his house. 40 seconds later, he comes out. Um, the, the neighbors are still in the street where they are, um, and bleeding, uh, several neighbors during that 40 second period come over to try to, you know, they try to help and, and trying to figure out, Hey, are you okay? Um, and this, the neighbor comes back out now with a, uh, a long gun and walks up to the woman, fires several rounds at point blank range, um, and then walks over, shoots the husband um, at point blank range, and then goes back into his house as police arrive. He shoots himself and kills himself. Um, and so, um, yeah, it's it's a horrific, tragic event that happened. Um, and uh, yeah, that's the overview. So, yeah, I'll, I'll hand it back over to you, Riley, and you can uh, start picking it apart. Yeah, I appreciate you breaking that down. Um, so, a couple of things I've seen discussed over the last week uh, since this video came to light and people have been viewing it and analyzing it and so forth. Um, you, you mentioned how when the shooting first began, uh, husband and wife kind of seemed to be more or less frozen. In fact, she even still was like kind of giving the dude a finger or something. Mm -hmm you know, even as he's firing the first several shots and there doesn't seem to be this, uh, this immediate reaction to that. And keep in mind that they likely have already seen the gun in this man's hand. I mean, but he's very much in a, in a, like a classic isosceles stance, really pointing in on the husband at first. Uh, it, I mean, it, it, it couldn't be more obvious that this man has a gun. He's aiming it at you things are about to get really nasty, right? And so people have been like, you know, so one thing I saw was that someone commented, I saw this comment more than once actually, well, the video and the audio seems to be out of sync because you know, the, re the, the time, the reaction from when we hear the first few shots ring out to when we first see the man and woman start to react like, and, and I'll be honest, the first time I watched it too, I'm like, oh, is this out of sync? You know, like, what's going on here? And then watched it again and again and realized, no, it's not out of sync. Because you'll see that when the man, when you see it in profile, meaning that he points the gun at this woman's head on the ground and fires a shot or two, uh, it you see, that, like, it's very apparent. Nope, that was in sync with the audio. So, okay, we're synced up now. That's kind of that the my own analysis that I did at first. The first time I watched it was like, What's going on here? So then we have to go back and look, well, why did they not react in a rational way, at least what we think would be rational, when somebody starts shooting at you, you'd think you'd be scrambling, right? Well, uh, as you touched on it, you talked about normalcy bias, which is a technical term. 
on fact, in fact, I'll just read to you the definition from Wikipedia because it's right here. Normalcy bias is a cognitive bias which leads people to disbelieve or minimize threat warnings. Consequently, individuals underestimate the likelihood of a disaster when it might affect them and its potential adverse effects. So what the, what this is is a situation where something is so far outside your norm that the brain tricks itself and think and just is like no this this doesn't make sense like this can't be happening you know they, people are familiar with that line of, like you you hear that phrase what this can't be happening to me me now really that is normalcy bias because it's something occurring to you or that you're witnessing that's so far outside the norm it just doesn't compute this is the classic freezing response that many people, you know, you, you might refer to. It. In fact, Casey on the com- in the comments on YouTube here, you know, use the phrase "freezing." They froze, in a way, and they may not have frozen in the way that you might have expected. As far as you might have expected them to see a little bit of a of a shrug or a a shrinking, you know, kind of body language of sorts. We don't really see that, but I have some other thoughts and and some theories as to why they may have further reacted the way they did. Realize too, guys, that when we get so worked up emotionally, right? Have you ever been, in fact, I'm going to ask Matthew the question, okay? Answer truthfully if you, if you care to, all right? Um, and I think, and, and, and actually I wouldn't be surprised either way because of the type of person you are, <laughs> but have you ever been so mad that it affected your judgment of a situation. Absolutely. I mean, it, it absolutely does. I mean, when we say like anger clouds your your um, ability to reason or, um, you know, something similar to that, it absolutely clouds your ability to see things how they really are and respond to them appropriately. And this is why um, you see sometimes... Um, it, Officers use excessive force because they end up getting emotionally angry at the person mm-hmm. and th- it carries them along past where they're able to, to realize what they're actually doing and how ridiculously dumb their actions are. Um, and it, it absolutely does. I think if we were honest, you know, everybody um, has been there, you know. I agree. I, I've been that angry before as well. It's, it's not a good thing. It never is. It never leads to anything positive. That's for sure. But we've all probably been there at some point in somewhere in our lives. It might have been many years ago. might have been as a child. It might have been more recent for some of you. But at some point, we've probably all gotten, and it doesn't have to be anger necessarily either. It just so emotionally worked up because sadness can be the same way. Uh, um, anxiety, right? Anger, frustration, all of that can cloud our ability to reason okay or and to be rational about the situation that we are in okay so w- when you watch the video or if you listen to the audio which is quite I mean, this this video is not only graphic in terms of the violence that occurs but also the language that's being used mm-hmm. it's not something that 
is pleasant to listen to and certainly not something we want our children listening to or anybody under the age of 18, frankly. Sorry, I don't even want my my older kids, you know, listening to that kind of stuff. So um, it's apparent that on both sides and especially because I mean, think about it, realize that as this man is pointing a pistol at both this husband and wife, she is still so worked up that she's screaming obscenities at him and flipping him the bird. And I mean, it like it is, it, this is like foaming at the mouth level of, of anger and frustration between these people. Okay. That's I, like, I'm trying to paint that picture of just how upset these people are. And you get to that level. It absolutely can and does impact your ability to be rational. So going back to the podcast episode I did with Matt Little, we talked about math, right? As it relates to use of force, that, you, that, that, that it should be as, there should be as little emotion as possible when, when it comes to us and the use of a gun or engaging in, in, a, situ, you know, in, a, in a stressful situation. The way to maximize performance and to make the best decisions as it relates to the law, we want as little emotion involved as possible. We want to look at the situation for what it is and go, this is the course of action I should take based on good sound tactics, based on the law, based on just common sense. And Can that, I- and I think that, that the level of emotional You know that that heightened emotional state where, that these people were in, I think, further enhanced uh, the negative effect of normalcy bias, and I think that's why they reacted the way they did. Yeah, a hundred percent. I I I totally um, agree, and I wanted to add like an analogy, um, a sports analogy, right? Like people talk about trash talking, right? Like you're getting into the the other player's head. Well, what it, what is that doing? It's, it's taking them off of focusing on what they need to do in in, an appropriate um, maybe defensive position or, or whatever. Um, And it's getting them to think about something emotionally like, okay, I'm going to stop this guy because he disrespected me. And now Mm -hmm. that's that, then he gets a pass interference, right? Because he's too aggressive and he doesn't respond appropriately. So um, it's, it's similar to that when, when, when you let your emotions and we're not saying like be robots. We're just saying you can't allow your emotion. You can't get outside of your emotions. You can't like get, or get outside yourself and let your emotions control. You need to control your emotions. Um, you, you can be a very strong, powerful person and very decisive, but that has to be under control because if it's not, you're out of control and you're reckless. Yeah. There you go. There you have it. Now let's break down some other things uh, lesson-wise from this incident. Um, first of all, avoiding confrontation or conflict avoidance. I think that's the first thing, first and foremost. Now, it's understandable how human beings, um, how we get to to a place of conflict, okay? Because it, 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 it is a part of life, Right. Many of us remember solving conflict on the playground, you know, or schoolyard, you know, uh, 
you know, during recess or whatever. Like, been I've been in fights. You've probably been in fights. Actually, I know you've been in fights. <laughs> like, part conflict's a part of life, right? So we, but but the part of life is that that we got to figure out is learning how to deal with conflict. And you know, there's there's mild forms of conflict, right? Having a minor disagreement with somebody over a situation or an issue or a, a whatever, you know, like we could be talking, we could be debating the second amendment or upcoming legislation and we could have a disagreement about certain things. Right. Well, that's a mild form of conflict. So it doesn't mean that we should totally avoid all conflict because some conflict is when, when it's reasonable is good. In fact, I think conflict and stuff leads to growth for, for individuals when we are able to positively manage it and learn from it. But what I'm talking about as far as avoiding confrontation and, and conflict, I'm talking about this kind of situation. And there's a point where we have to go, you know, initially it might, this might've started as, Hey neighbor, why are you throwing snow on my property? Like you, while that may not make much sense to some of us, cause like some of us would think that's not a big deal, but apparently it was to somebody. Right. And well, so then, well, what is it to you? Like, it's just snow. It's just going to melt. Yeah, but I don't appreciate it because whatever reason I have, right? You know, like, so there. this can start out very um, innocently, if you will, right? But at some point we have to go, you know what? This just isn't worth my time, all right? Or this isn't going anywhere. This is non-productive, and we need to recognize when that moment is and walk away from it. Well, what's your thoughts about that? It's particularly, I mean, not only in this situation, this, this specific video, Matthew, but just in general, like how do we recognize when we should walk away? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. And I think it starts with understanding yourself and understanding um, that, you know, the way you see other people, they may be seeing you the same way. And so the way we carry ourselves, I think is is really important because it helps us um, understand other people as well. You know, it, if, if I think that I'm better than everybody around me and, 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 you know, I'm right and I'm always right. And nobody's going to tell me differently. And nobody's, I'm going to have the last word because, you know, no one's going to disrespect me or no, then I have to, I, I, I almost inevitably are, am drawn into conflict, right? Because like, I have to be right. And so if we start understanding, like, Hey, there's different people. There's different ideologies. There's different ways people see each other. I'm no different than you. You might be a total jerk, but I don't have to be that way. I can just say, you know what? It's, you know, I I, I don't want to be involved in this and I'll walk away. Uh, I think coming to the point um, in your life where you start to prioritize your life above um, having the last word. Like I start to, you start thinking about like, what is my benefit to my family? How am I carrying myself in front of my, my, my wife, my wife standing out here, there's kids. Like, is this the way I want to present myself in front of my family? Um, because even if they didn't get shot, I mean, let's say they both go in, in their houses and slam the doors and that's it. It's still totally unacceptable behavior. Right. And so, um, I think we just have to start saying like, I'm not going to do these things. I'm just not. I'm going to make the decision not to be a jerk, even if somebody's a jerk to me. And I, I, I kind of 
say that, and we co- cover this all the time on the podcast, but it's really important to me. Like what, what is in your heart, what you think is eventually going to manifest in your actions. And so, you know, when we see com, when I see comments on, you know, posts like they're not leaving in, they're going to leave in a body bag, or I'm not going to let this, you know, I, I have the right to shoot it. it like, you may have the legal right and maybe it's justifiable, but that's not the, if you have that, that drive, um, you're likely to use force when it's probably not necessary or excessive or get yourself involved in situations that you didn't have to, because that you can see that thought manifest itself. And um, I just think, you know, as concealed carriers, we have to look at ourselves and just say, no longer am I just going to be involved in a fist fight. Now I have a firearm. I'm bringing a firearm in every fight, every conversation that I'm, I'm going to be involved in. And, and that's a potential death for me or somebody else. If I don't, if I don't control the situation by being in control of myself. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Spot on. I would answer my own question with how do I know when it's time to walk away by using this as a guide and a metric. And what this is, is when you recognize that emotionally you are getting tied up in the situation, mm-hmm. right? Because one thing to initiate or initially engage in some kind of conflict, <clears throat> right? Because again, those, those, and we don't necessarily always pick every fight. Sometimes people pick the fight with us. And so there's that initial conflict that has to, take place while we're, you know, figuring out, orienting, if you will, trying to figure out, okay, how do I respond to this, right? Um, It's one thing to simply be, you know, straightforward and direct and, and, you know, factual and you're, you know, kind of a fact-based approach, like, no, that's not how I see it. You know, there's this, there's this, there's this to be considered, whatever. Um, but at some point, when you recognize those emotions starting to well up inside of you, anger, frustration, you know, that you start getting upset, like that should be the moment that you go, ooh, you know what? I'm not thinking very rationally right now because I'm emotionally invested in this conflict. That, I would say, let that be your guide when to walk away, when you recognize your emotional control going out the window. All right. Um, along with that, here's some other advice. Do not ever provoke. Period. It's almost nothing good that ever comes from provoking somebody. We have to look at why we provoke someone. And provoking is almost always tied to it's almost like a calling of a bluff, right? It's like, oh yeah, what are you going to do, right? That's a, pro- a, provo- a provocation. That's, oh really? Like, prove it. Let's see it. Come on. And that's what was going on here. There was some serious posturing going on between these these neighbors, and then it became provoking and taunting, right? And so. What did it do? It pushed one of them over the edge to the point that his bluff was called out. Yeah. And so he went back in to his garage, into his house, whatever, comes out with a gun. Okay. You said, prove it. You said, yeah. let's, let's do this. 
all right, I'm ready. I got mine right here. Where's yours? Right. Well, and, and you're right. But if you, for those that either didn't hear, hear the audio portion of it, um, you know, he comes out and after the second time, when he shoots the woman, he says, you should have kept your, and he, he swears mouth shut. And like, for us, we're like that. There's no way that, you know, we can understand, hopefully that you're listening to this and you're like, man, I, I, I could never get to the point where I could shoot somebody for disrespecting me or saying these things. Right. But to him, when in, in that mindset, that's, that's, he, he spoke truthfully right then and there. Like, that's why he got so angry that he was like, you should have kept your mouth shut. Now I'm going to shut it for you. He walked over and the other guy called him a derogatory term. And he said, Oh, I'm a, you know, huh? And shot him again. So it was all like these verbal things that he felt like his ego and, and his, his pride was hurt. Right. Yep. And he was going to exert his force on them to show them, no, I, I, I'm not going to allow that to happen. And, you know, we could, I think we can push. I, I don't think this guy was on the brink, like every, every day of the week, like it was just brewing there. I don't think he was the next Columbine shooter or something like that. I think this just was a, a person who was going through a lot of things and probably not mentally um, able to, uh, to navigate the issues he was going through. And this was the, 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 the kind of the straw that was like, that, that's it. And he's just done. Um, but I, th I think a lot of people could get to that point and to your point, like we should not go out and seek conflict because somebody may take you upon your, uh, on that offer and, it's not where you want to be. Yep. Yep. All right. So avoid confrontation. Don't provoke, right? Keep your emotions in check. You got to stay emotionally in control. As soon as you lose control of those emotions, we got to check out. We got to get out. We, we got to withdraw. If we cannot withdraw, all right, because that's, per, that's conceivable. That's certainly a possibility that we go, you know what? This isn't worth my time. Uh, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I said that I apologize. If I hurt your feelings, you start apologizing, do whatever you got to do is try to deescalate. De All right. Another deescalation de techniques. Okay. But what if that doesn't work? Then we got to have a plan B. Now what's next? Let's say I can't get away. Let's say I'm in a confined space. Uh, maybe there's nowhere to go. Maybe I'm surrounded. Uh, maybe it's this guy's buddies now are surrounding me, right? You know, that kind of thing. Like, okay, we got to talk our way out of the situation. We're trying to do that, but that's not working. What's our plan B? All right. Well, it could be less, less lethal forms of, of force. Uh, it could be OC spray, for instance, right? Uh, it could be, hey, maybe things are going to get to a, like, we don't maybe know it yet, but do I have a plan B? Right. What is that plan B? And do I have one? Perhaps it is the gun because maybe it does get to that point. Right. Well, to be able to use a gun, you got to be carrying a gun. I've looked at this video and, and, and I, I don't think either this man or this woman was armed. No. Um, I, I would think at some point, you know, once you saw your neighbor pointing a gun at you, you would be probably moving to get your own gun out. At least I would. So um, you got to have your plan B. Here's the other thing I took away from this too, Matthew. If you are injured, 
but you're still alive. You're still breathing. Don't assume the situation's over. Mm-mm. Right? Uh, they're on the ground. They're injured. Perhaps seriously injured. Perhaps dying, but not dead yet. Um, you're just out in the open. You're laying in the street. There's also the danger of a car. I mean, it's it's snowy. It's slick. A car could run run over you, not be able to stop in time. You know, like, get yourself out of there. All right. And if you can't, if you can't get away, find cover or do your best to do so. Mm-hmm. Here's another thing. What if you can't get away? Do you think that man would have shot the woman again, uh, particularly when he came back with the rifle, if she was laying on the ground motionless? Yeah, because she was still cussing at him when he came up the second time, right? Yep. She was moving. She was saying stuff, you know. Um, and, and as he came back, she asked, she said something back to him and, and or, or something, I think. I, anyway, and yeah, the point is, like, do you think? I mean, it is no guarantee that if she played dead that he wouldn't have finished her off. But I'd say there's a good chance that if, because I think he came to finish him off because, you know what? I took it this far. I'm going to make sure they're de- done. And then I'm going to take myself out because my life's over at this point. I got pushed over the edge. I lost control. I recognize that now I'm going to jail for the rest of my life. My life is over as I know it. I got nothing else to lose. I'm going to make sure they're dead. And then I'm going to be dead. Mm-hmm. If she was laying there dead, as far as he could tell, he might not have shot her and she might've survived. I'm, I'm not saying it's ideal. I'm just saying it's a tactic. I don't know. Any thoughts about that? Any of that, the above? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, th- I think, you know, de-escalation is who knows if, de- you know, and we're talking about this woman is physically incapable of moving or you are right. Like in this situation, it's the woman and she lays in, in the middle of the road um, and, it appears as though she wasn't physically like her mobility wasn't physically taken from her. Like um, she was shot in the, you know, the pelvis and couldn't physically move because her hips were destroyed or something. It seems more uh, the shock and maybe just, you know, the pain and just like, I I'm just, I I don't know what to do. And I'm just, I'm stuck here. But if you are, I mean, and obviously in that situation, we're always the will to fight, the will to live um, has to be there. And we want to uh, do what we can to, you know, get out of there. But to your point, like, let's say you physically can't do it. Like you, you physically can't get up. Um, Yeah. I mean, that's a technique you potentially still try to deescalate. If you have no other, no other tools, other than your brain at this point, you have to look at the situation and say, can I talk this guy down? Like, you know, you, you plead with the guy, maybe that, maybe you appeal to, to something like that. I, we don't know if that would have changed anything. Um, but certainly you, at your, at, at one point now you realize it's only my brain because I can't get up. I have to start thinking, what can I do either? Do I play dead? I don't know. Do I try to deescalate this further? Um, I, I don't know. That's something is something you should at least have in the back of your mind of so, so, so you don't get into a situation. You run that loop where what should I do? I don't know. What should I do? I don't know. Like nothing interjects and says, okay, try this. 
it's better than nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You know, just keep in mind that if, Hey, I was just shot. Um, somebody just committed an act of violence against me. Can't, I can't assume it's, it's over with if I'm laying there injured. So, um, it's, it's, you know, I talked about having a plan B that's sort of your plan C and your plan D and your like, you just have to be thinking about this. Like I'm trying to maximize my chances of surviving and prevailing in this incident today. So what are all the things I could be doing to help maximize my chances? Um, how about this, Matthew? What about the witnesses slash citizen responders that came at least attempted to come to their aid? That yeah. was particularly interesting to me because, I mean, obviously they just heard noise. They just heard arguing. They just heard gunshots. Uh, they look out the window. They see a woman laying on the ground in the street. So they go out. They could have very likely have gotten injured themselves. Yeah. I mean, he, he started coming right out as they were right there. And, and I, I guess they, at least one of them, seemed like saw them and was like, Oh, ooh, let's, let's get out of here sort of thing as yeah. he was coming back. What do you think about that? Yeah. I, I noted that too. I thought it was really interesting. Um, you know, they came and obviously at that point, they're not providing any, any uh, uh, immediate aid to the, to the victims. They don't have it. Uh, have any gear on them. They pr- may not be trained or whatnot. Um, but it, absolutely, somebody's been shot. We don't know who the shooter is, right? And so um, putting yourself out there, they didn't realize it was shot probably until they came out there and saw the blood and stuff. But um, when that guy came back out, he saw one of the people right next to the woman and he had he raised the gun, the rifle up to the ready position, like kind of aiming in on him. And then that dude took off. Um, so, you know, we don't know if he would have been providing aid, you know, to that woman, who knows if that guy would have come out and shot him as well. I, you know, that's hey, something. It's pretty know. apparent that he, he had nothing left to lose anymore at that point. So what does it matter to him? Yeah. And, and so I think it just, it, it should give us pause to say, okay, you know, if, if, if somebody's injured, yeah, our instinct is to go and help them, but also don't don't lose track, especially like if it's a violent it's scene, right? Um, that the, the, there could be a potential threat still there, and you're putting yourself at risk. So at least be aware of those things, right? Um, you know, who knows? That's right. Um, so, yeah, if you're if you're a witness or a responder, a first responder, you know, I'm not. I don't mean the li- in the in the sense that you're EMS or police, I just mean like you're one of the people that arrives on the scene. Okay. Of something like this. Don't assume. And by the way, this is true of really any, any life, potentially life threatening situation, even the scene of an accident, right? Don't assume the scene is safe. Okay. We need to evaluate the situation. We need to try to understand what's going on and whether the scene is safe. And also be careful getting involved in other people's problems. I'm not saying not to help and be a good a good neighbor and a good citizen. But if you do decide to get involved, you got to make sure as best you can the scene is safe. And then also have your own plan B. All right. If something changes about this situation, okay. Like I see people on the ground shot. Where's the shooter? Who shot these people? Are they still around? All right. I'll try to render aid, but... 
where is this person that, that did the shooting? Okay. I need to be thinking about getting out of there or potentially defending myself if I find myself in that situation. And that very, it very nearly to me, I agree as I observed it, these other people could have been injured as well. Uh, that would have been unfortunate. Um, fortunately, no one else was hurt and, uh, it ended, you know, terribly, um, very sadly. And by the way, you know, everyone obviously in this situation, if you didn't know already, they, everyone died. Okay. Um, husband and wife died. Uh, they left behind a 15 year old autistic son. Um, and even that is a lesson in and of itself. Again, talking about being involved in conflict getting emotionally upset, emotionally invested in a, in a argument or a conflict of some kind. We need to recognize that. And again, and we need to be thinking about what are my priorities? Arguing over snow and where I put it or making sure that I'm there for my son. And also that I'm setting a good honorable example for those people that I, that I care for and that care about me. Right. Like that's the other thing, the actions of any, of all these, all three of these people, like obviously there's, there's the man that's the murderer. And, uh, yeah, I'm not trying to suggest that, uh, like he did a terrible thing, something that was unimaginable and, and that these people probably couldn't have imagined themselves again, normalcy bias. Um, I don't suspect this man that, killed them had ever done anything like that before as far as we know okay so but but we look at both sides of this conflict and the actions and the words of everyone involved was frankly dishonorable right it was not a good example this is not how we as human beings should be to one another now, apparently there was a long standing kind of almost like a feud between these, these two households. I don't know all the details. I haven't seen anything further reported on that, but there was a history here. Still, you know, we need to be good human beings and be respectful towards other people. Because not only is I think that the right way to live, but it also helps avoid these kind of situations in the first place. It, it, it It's a self-correcting solution to you know avoiding conflict not provoking de-escalating uh all that because we will not tend to get involved when we try to be good human beings hmm. yeah agreed man it, it it really does come down to a con- uh just the condition of your heart i really i truly believe that yeah yeah. You know, and not to say that good people can't get emotionally worked up. No, not at all. So, so it's just like, yes, it, it, you're, you're absolutely correct. And we just, by golly, we gotta, gotta keep the emotion out of it. Mm-hmm. Right. At least the negative ones, good emotions, good, bad emotions just don't really lead to much productivity wise. No. All right. Well, we need to start wrapping it up. Um, I, I hope that we did this some justice. I mean, I anticipated getting some messages from listeners, Matthew, if we didn't talk about this, that we would have some that would talk 
you know, that would want us to talk about it. Sure. I actually did get at least one or two personal messages from folks that listen to the podcast that asked about it. Mm-hmm. Um, the lessons learned is what's the important part, not focusing on the violence that occurred here, not focusing on, you know, those things, but focusing on what we need to be focused on as, as, as law abiding, decent concealed carriers. Mm-hmm. Right. Today's episode again, sponsored by the 2021 guardian conference. Again, there will be fantastic training at this event that I'd like to think would help prepare any one of you within the sound of my voice a little bit better for these kind of violent encounters, right? Um, get signed up, guardianconference.com. Guardian Nation members save big on, on the ticket for this event. So you might want to consider being a Guardian Nation member, guardiannation.com. Of course, there's many other great benefits, huge benefits even, of being a member of Guardian Nation, including saving on CCW safe, right? Um, that's a good thing to have. I think having a, a great organization like CCW safe, having your back from a legal representation standpoint, if you had to be involved in a deadly force encounter, uh, they've got your back. I assure you of that. And we're proud to be partnered with them and for them to be, be sponsors of this podcast and also spon- our title sponsor of the 2021 Guardian Conference. All right, Matthew, we need to do a giveaway. Guys, once yep. a week we do a podcast giveaway. You sign up at concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize. Every week the giveaway resets. So make sure you go in and, and do that each week. Uh, this week, what are we giving away, Matthew? We are giving away a Legal Boundaries by State book. And Great. I'll cue you guys in on next week. We have an SSP eyewear gift card for 50 bucks. Sweet. $50 gift certificate yep. or voucher to SSP eyewear. Mm-hmm. Uh, that gets you a long ways on SSP eyewear, actually. So, yeah. so that's that's a that's a great prize. Uh, and I will just tease. We have other cool things coming. In fact, I think two weeks from now we'll give away a palm pepper spray. Absolutely, we are. So, yeah, we were just talking about that a little bit ago, and uh, so we're gonna give away one of these. Okay, so Palm was kind enough to send us some palm pepper spray. And that little unit right there, this is great to have as a less lethal use of force option that might solve certain situations that a gun's not appropriate for. Mm-hmm. And you just need a little extra something, okay, to to defend yourself. So, palm pepper spray, that'll be in a couple of weeks here. But next week, giving away a $50 gift, uh, it's a $50 voucher to SSB Eyewear. Today's winner is going to get the Legal Boundaries by State book. And so we should draw that winner right now. Matthew, ready? Here's yes, purple. sir. The winner is Miss Ashley. You are Ashley. the lucky winner. Congratulations, Ashley. So uh, Matthew will get in touch with you to make sure you get your copy of the Legal Boundaries by State book, 50 State Summary of all the different state firearm laws. In fact, I'm going to be using mine or referencing mine in a couple of weeks here, so. Yep, that's good. good reference to have. All right, 
Well, we need to wrap it up. Let you go. Guys, have a wonderful rest of your day, evenings, wherever you may be. Have a great rest of your week and a fantastic weekend. Be safe. Okay. Be smart. Speaking of which, a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. A reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.